With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, Dan here. We have something a little different this week. We've teamed up with NPR's Planet Money podcast to bring you the story of a very unusual kind of Panera Cafe and how things didn't quite turn out as planned. If you found us from Planet Money, welcome. Check out our past episodes and subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast app. Also, we have a Facebook group. Search for Household Name Podcast on Facebook and join the conversation there. Stick around to the end of the show. We have a fun story about what happens when a company loses control of its own brand name. And since this is the start of season two, we'll have a preview of some of the stories we're working on in the next few weeks. And now, here's the show. And my partner for the episode, NPR's Sarah Gonzalez. He's a big deal now, the founder of Panera Bread. But back when he was in college, he was just Ron Shake, some teen getting kicked out of stores. I was tossed out of a local convenience store. Wait, you got kicked out of a convenience store in college? Yes. What did you do? Uh, They accused us of shoplifting. I did nothing. Are you sure? I am positive. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Ron Shake vowed to never go back to this store. And I said, why don't we open our own nonprofit convenience store? If they don't appreciate our business, let's let's do our own. Ron was 19 years old when he opened this store on his college campus. What did you sell? We sold everything you might want on a college campus. I don't know, crackers and snacks, the beverages, cleaning supplies. Ron was good at opening stores. He went on to build this little cafe called Obampan into a big chain. And out of that came another big chain called Panera Bread. There are more than 2,000 Paneras now. And, you know, Ron's a good guy. He's the kind of guy who takes his kids to volunteer at food banks on the weekend. And while they're all volunteering, he starts thinking that food pantries are actually really inefficient. He might as well just write a check, he thought. And then one night, he's watching the news. It was actually a rerun of the NBC Nightly News, he said. And they had this story about this cafe in Denver called Same, short for So All May Eat that allows customers to pay what they want. There's the menu with no prices. And the customers, those with and those without. At same cafe, it didn't matter if you had money to pay for your meal. And Ron's thinking, this sounds great. I can do something like this. I said, we open a a cafe every two days. We have more equipment, more resources, more capabilities. This This is something we could do. He thinks Panera can do this faster, Bigger and better. Private sector efficiency. And this is the moment he decides he'll open nonprofit versions of Panera's. They'd look and taste like any other, but customers can decide what they want to pay. 
I fundamentally believe that there were enough good people in the world that they would do the right thing. But I particularly loved torturing the cynics who were arguing, you know, no way this would work. Everybody, you know, it would be lunch on Uncle Ron. Ron was making a big bet, not just on the business, but on human nature, that wealthy people and poor people would want to sit side by side for lunch, and that people would be so generous that these restaurants would break even. And a professor who really knows consumers was watching all this with a lot of interest. What was your first impression of the idea? (laughs) My first impression of the idea was, this will never work. From Business Insider and Stitcher, this is Household Name. Brands you can trust. Brands you know, stories you don't. I'm Dan Bobkoff. Today, does Panera care? What happens when a corporation tries a major experiment in charity that goes right to the heart of human nature? What do shoppers and eaters believe in? And then, what do they actually spend money on? This is a story about homelessness, broccoli cheddar soup, and the war between good and evil that rages within every consumer. Sarah Gonzalez from Planet Money is with us for all of that. Plus, did you know that Escalator used to be a brand name? It was until the company messed up. That's later. Stay with us. Panera's are kind of like fancier fast food. They're a little healthier and a little pricier. And when Ron said he was going to let customers pay whatever they wanted for Panera food, he decided these special cafes needed to be in areas where there were enough poorer people who could benefit from the generosity of enough wealthier people. Our whole idea here was not simply to create another homeless shelter or another soup kitchen. It was actually to have a real meal and a real meal with dignity. So he creates a nonprofit arm called Panera Cares. Instead of cash registers, the Cares cafes have donation bins. All the prices on the menu are just suggested prices. You know, to give customers some idea of how much food actually costs. And the whole idea and hope here is that enough wealthier customers will pay more than the suggested price so the needy can eat for less. The first location opened in Clayton, Missouri, near St. Louis in 2010. Ron actually stepped down as CEO to get it off the ground. I can remember that first day we opened the cafe. I waited on customers. I waited behind the counter. I worked 100 hours that next week in the cafe. Ron then opens more nonprofit Paneras in Chicago, Boston, Portland, Oregon, and Dearborn, Michigan, right outside Detroit. I was a reporter in the area then, and I remember thinking, hunger is such a big problem. Maybe this could actually help. No big restaurant corporation had ever tried this. And there was one professor who studies consumer behavior and consumer ethics who was thinking, what Ron is proposing goes against everything I know about how consumers behave. What is the most depressing thing you've learned in um, studying consumer ethics? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's, uh, wow, there's a deep well to, uh, to, to pull from. Oh, um, no. Gianna Eckhart is a professor of marketing at Royal Holloway University of London. Well, um, I'll answer that by telling you the the title of my most recent book on this topic, which is called The Myth of the Ethical Consumer. (laughs) Yep. 
There are no ethical consumers. Gianna says how people feel about a social issue like hunger and how they behave in the marketplace are two totally different things. Meaning, like, I can hate sweatshops, but I might still buy a pair of tennis shoes that from a brand that uses sweatshop labor. Exactly. So she's like, I have to follow Ron's experiment. She actually observes these cafes for years. Ron invited her to the opening of the Boston Cafe because she wasn't a believer. He invited a bunch of people. And Gianna was sitting next to a priest who ran a local food bank out of his church. So they're sitting there listening to Ron. One of the things that Ron talks about is that the people who come there can dine with dignity. This is his term, that you don't have to go to a place like a food hall in a church where he described the food as being cafeteria food that tastes like, you know, what you would eat when you were in, uh, you know, third grade in school and you're surrounded by people who are down on their luck. So it's a depressing experience. Um, so as he was saying this, I could see that uh, the priest that I was sitting next Next to getting more and more uncomfortable. But these Panera Cares cafes got going quick. Soon they were serving 4,000 people a week. And of course, there were a few early problems. Like Ron had designed these big signs that explained the model, the menu, the mission. We put so much energy into building these signs to tell people to do the right thing, pay what you want, pay what you can, pay it forward. But apparently people don't read signs. Everyone was confused. Like, what do you mean suggested prices? So now they had to spend money to hire someone who could stand at the door and explain how this whole thing works. But whatever. Like, they were serving the needy. This is what Ron wanted. And you know, there's a certain kind of person who's going to show up when you do something like this, like those kids who take the whole bowl of Halloween candy. Yeah, they showed up. I can literally remember a couple of kids, local local kids, walked into our store in, in Clayton, Missouri, and they walked up to the counter kind of laughing, and they said, I'll have three smoothies and, 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 and two roast beef sandwiches, and here's my dad's credit card. Put three bucks on it. I just wanted to jump over that counter, and I wanted to grab the kid around the neck and whack him. And I just wanted to say, don't you get it? Right? Somebody else has got to pay. Ron had to keep battling people's bad impulses, even his own staff. They started judging people, profiling them. People would walk in, and we would assume we knew either uh, based on how they looked, based on how they were dressed, um, you know, potentially based on the color of their skin, what they were going to do. The staff would be like, wait, how much did you put in the bin? You look like you could give a bit more. He ended up putting the staff through sensitivity training. But he's really happy with the experiment at this point. About six months in, Ron says more than half of the customers were paying the suggested price. About 20% paid extra, and the other 20% paid less. Sometimes they paid nothing at all. Hey, free soup. Which overall sounds pretty great. But what Gianna is seeing sitting there on all her visits looks a little different. At the beginning, people who were homeless were bringing in every possession that they owned into the Panera, which was typically in like a shopping cart. That's how they would keep their possessions. And so you would see all of these shopping carts around, which also smelled in addition to the people themselves. So the managers had to 
um, yeah, come up with rules about the size of bags that you could bring in and things like that to, uh, to manage that situation. It fell on employees in these cafes to deal with issues that they weren't really qualified for, like mental health and drug issues. Sharon Davis worked at the Portland store. I was probably one of the oldest people there, so it was kind of like Grandma Sharon type of thing. Grandma Sharon saw the best and worst of people. There was a customer sitting there, and she comes up, and she goes, Oh, my God, these people are stink. I can't stand eating like this. And I said, Well, I'm really sorry, um, but they are entitled to a meal. And you try to be very, very dignified, you know, graceful about it. And the bathrooms in particular were a big draw. Customers were doing things in there that Grandma Sharon should not have seen. Took a bath, basically, you know, a sink shower, and there'd be a whole mess under there. There'd be quite a few of them that were shooting up in there. When they'd come out the door, you, you know, they were loaded, and we'd open the door and look, and there's blood everywhere. So then we'd have to close that bathroom. Sharon says they were trying to do their best. They would refer customers to rehab and shelters and jobs and things like that. The cafe in Denver, the one that inspired Ron, that's what they do. No prices. But this experiment was really about food. And employees like Sharon told us the real problem was that these cafes weren't attracting enough generous people who wanted to pay more. So pretty early on, Panera's Cafe started telling customers that if they didn't have money to pay, they could volunteer for an hour in exchange for a meal. You know, clean under the counters. The first store was in business for eight years, but then it closed. So did the ones in Dearborn, Chicago, and Portland. Panera says it did not make financial sense to continue to operate Panera Cares. They're no longer trying to beat food banks at their own game. Panera is back to donating to them, writing checks. Sharon says she had a month's notice that her store would close. We poured our last coffees together out of the coffee machine. And then we closed the door and we all just stood there and looked. And then we all gave each other hugs and said, we'll be in touch. And we left the parking lot for the last time. And Gianna, our consumer expert, says Ron was just kind of naive about the whole thing. He didn't understand how those with and those without would behave next to each other. What ended up happening is the people who were not food insecure did not want to eat lunch with people who were food insecure. No one wanted to sit next to homeless people. And Gianna says those who were food insecure didn't necessarily feel comfortable sitting next to those with more means either. But Ron is a believer, even today. He says the cafes closed because their leases were up and the rent was skyrocketing, not because his idea didn't work. What do you say to people who say, maybe you didn't understand, like, human nature when you started this? What is your response? Excuse me, right? This thing worked. You served millions of people over many, many years. And so the fact that at the end of five years or seven or eight, we closed the store by no means means that this wasn't a success. Gianna says there are other models that could have worked better. Like Panera could make people feel like they're getting a gift. Gifts make us feel guilty. They make us feel like we have to give back. There are pizza shops and coffee shops in the U.S. that do this already. A lot of the ones that have been more successful than Panera Cares tend to be a pay-it-forward model rather than a pay-what-you-can model. 
So say it's like a coffee shop, for example. You're told someone who came here before you has paid for your coffee and you're handed a free coffee. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. And then you're asked, would you like to pay for someone else's coffee? Of course. Yeah. (laughs) And because this is framed as a gift, it tends to be quite powerful. So you think, oh, I've received a gift from someone that I don't even know. And this um, I should repay that gift is a very, uh, yeah, a very strong instinct inside people, I think. Another thing that would work better, take those suggested prices off the menu. If you see a price, Gianna says you think that's the amount you should pay. With no price, people actually give more. Yeah, it's soup, salad, and pizza. That's what we serve every day. Brad Rubendell runs Same Cafe, and it turns out they're actually pretty different from Panera Cares. They never wanted to completely rely on the generosity of people. They don't want to be self-sustaining. They fundraise. They have a big gala every year. And Brad says that if more than half of their customers are paying they're doing something wrong. Is it becomes a place where wealthy white people feel good about eating, but it doesn't actually serve the mission. Brad says it's actually a terrible business model if you're trying to break even. This was designed to be a charity. It runs like a nonprofit. And it was actually designed to help the people it serves. Like there are cubbies, so homeless people have a place to leave their stuff. There are what they call introvert tables, so people can sit there in peace for hours. You know, I'm a, I'm a middle-class white guy. And so if I ever want to be left alone, I go pay $5 for an overpriced coffee and no one's going to bother me. But many of our guests that are carrying all of their belongings that they own are made to feel uncomfortable in those places, even if they pay for a coffee. I hadn't even, th- I haven't thought about it like that, but white men do love sitting by themselves at coffee shops. <laughs> and we're good at it. <laughs> but there is one Panera Cares left. After the break, we go and we pay what we want. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Dan and I are in the one remaining pay-what-you-want Panera Cares. It's in Boston. And they take their bathroom security very seriously here. They change their bathroom codes multiple times a day. What's the code right now? The code is 8053 Two nine nine two one seven for the ladies' room. How do you remember that? I make them. <laughs> I make them. Man, I'm kind of a numbers guy. This is Barry Combs, the manager of Panera Cares. The store looks pretty much like any Panera, with a few little differences. Like there's this wall of day-old bread when you walk in. This bread wall is for anybody else that's in need. 
You can come in. We have a bin here. You can add what you can, grab a loaf of bread, bring it to the cashiers, and we'd slice it for you. You'd add your donation right into the bin here. There's not a lot in there right now. Is that four bucks? It's, it's not for a profit. Everything is suggested amounts. I've actually never been to a Panera. So what should I order? Broccoli cheddar soup. That sounds like the like gateway drug to Panera. <laughs> okay, let's go order something. We see those clear donation bins. Oh, like plexiglass? Plastic? But you have to look really closely to see the tiny type at the top of the menu that says the prices are just suggested donations. Okay, I'm going to do the broccoli cheddar soup. Your total comes out to nine twenty-eight. Would you like to make a donation today? Meaning, like, I can donate nine twenty-eight, or I cannot donate nine twenty-eight. It's up to you to just place your value in the bin. However much you wish to donate. I got a twenty, so I'll do that. Oh my goodness. What's your name? Kim. Kim. Thank you, Kim. Thanks so much. We really appreciate that. How much did you? How much did you pay? All right, so I paid ten dollars. She told me that I donated thirty. What is that? Thirty-two cents to the next person. Then I felt like a cheapskate. Like I should put more money in there. Yeah, that is a little cheap of me, Dan. Come on. But I saw you, like, hold a wad of bills into the bin and just hold it there for, like, a minute. It was like... No, I wasn't, like, conflicted about it. I was just trying to fit it in the little slot. Right, because there were so many bills because you're so generous. (laughs) Right now, this store loses money. Barry says they cover about 85% of their cost. Panera makes up the rest. Do you think this place will be here in a year? Yes. I know it'll be here in a year. What makes you so sure? Because we run it right, and we treat people with respect. And it was actually really nice to see. Like, there were customers on laptops sitting next to you and talking to people in need, people eating free loaves of unsliced bread out of the bag. There were people volunteering in exchange for food. Yeah, I kept thinking about Gianna's critique of this place. And yet, while we were there, we met mostly people who were benefiting from it. Like Heather and Steven, who eat there regularly. I heard about it uh, when I was at a homeless shelter. Uh, it, it is known throughout the you know homeless community that this is a safe haven, so. Yeah, it was a rumor, and I'm like, where is it? And then they told me, I'm like, they'll give you a free breakfast, uh, and then, but if you want something else, like uh, lunch or dinner, come back and you will do an hour of volunteer work and they'll pay you in food to do it. Yeah, honestly, took care of me, you know, when I didn't have a meal to eat. And I'd come here and, you know, get warm and get something to eat. And we met Bia, who comes on Thursdays to pick up leftover pastries. And what do you do with them? This goes to all of the members of the church. Anyone at the church. Panera Cares might not be the solution, but it's definitely helping some people. And in the end, I felt so guilty about just giving 32 cents that I dropped a few more bucks in the bin. All right. I'm going to try this broccoli cheddar soup you recommended. Yeah, welcome. Oh, your sandwich looks good. Now I wish I would have gotten a sandwich. Well, I'm waiting for the sandwich. All right, this cheddar broccoli soup is, like, good, but I don't know if it's, like, as... Yeah, it's good. Thanks to NPR Sarah Gonzalez of Planet Money for co-reporting this with us. After the break, what happens when a brand loses control of its own name? Customer service is on the case, the staircase.
Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Thank you for calling customer service, where we answer all your burning questions about brands. This call may be recorded for podcast purposes. Hi, Household Name Customer Service. Can I have your name, please? Hi, this is Alexis from Omaha, Nebraska. And what's your question for us? So years ago, I read an article somewhere that stated Escalator was once a trademark name. But according to the article, the trademark was lost when the name became so generic that people used to refer to Escalator for the entire industry instead of just that brand. Is that true? And if it is, why hasn't that happened with Band-Aid? All right. Well, as always, I have no idea. But here at Customer Service, I'm going to find someone who does. Can you hold, please? Yes. Hey, Alexis. Yeah. I have someone who can help. It is our producer, Anna Mazarakis, who is here with some answers. Hi, Alexis. Hi, Anna. Thank you for your question. So as you said, both Escalator and Band-Aid started off as trademark brand names, but Band-Aid has been able to hold on to that trademark while Escalator has lost it. And there's actually a word for the phenomenon of a brand losing its trademark and becoming generic, and that word is genericide. Why isn't it brandicide? Sounds like that's it's, it's the brand that's being killed, not the generic. <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. But I spoke to a lawyer who says that looking at genericide like something was killed is actually not too far off base. Folks refer to terms that have become generic as going to the graveyard and that it's the death of the trademarks. This is Laura Grenstorfer, and she's on the International Trademark Association's Famous and Well-Known Marks Committee, and she leads their genericide objective. And she told me that a lot of people don't realize that going generic is actually a bad thing. If I once had a colleague in marketing tell me that she originally thought if consumers used your trademark to describe your product, that you'd made it. But this could not be actually further from the truth. And to understand why, let's go back in time to the turn of the 20th century to the birth of the escalator which was really a brand of moving staircases. Otis is the oldest elevator company, and they trademarked the name Escalator, a moving staircase. 
I've never heard them called anything but escalator, but they're called moving staircases. Yeah, the escalator was just one brand of moving staircases back in 1900. There was a competitor called the electric stairway, and another one went by moving stairs. But the name escalator caught on with the public, and Otis didn't do what it needed to do to protect the escalator's good, trademarked name from genericide. So what did they do? So first, Otis only called it an escalator. It didn't call it something like the escalator brand of moving stairway. So everyone was saying escalator. And what they should have done there is say escalator moving stairway because escalator would be the brand and the moving stairway is the product itself. The next mistake Otis made was referring to escalator in the plural. Wait, wait, why is it even bad to call them escalators? Because you want the trademark to label the product, not be the product. If you have a trademark, you want to make sure that you're not having it uh, be plural, that you are not treating it as a noun, that you're treating it as an adjective, and always making sure that you have that product or service after it. So escalator moving stairways would have been how they would have treated it there. And Otis made these mistakes for years. And this came to haunt Otis in a really big way. After those 50 years, someone went and challenged the trademark and said, you no longer have the rights to exclude others from using this term because everyone out there is now using it to describe a moving staircase instead of saying a moving staircase. So the court took a look at the evidence behind this challenge and decided that because of how Otis was using the word escalator— it had become generic. The court ruled that the company failed to protect its trademark, and therefore any company could then use the term escalator for their brand of moving staircases. A big fall for the escalator. And it's not just escalator. There are a bunch of other terms that have become generic but were once trademarks, like aspirin, cellophane, thermos, laundromat, yo-yo, zipper, TV dinner— and that's really bad for the companies because once a brand becomes generic, the company loses a big competitive advantage. Anyone can call their product by that name and get all the benefits associated with that product's name recognition and that product's reputation for quality. But not Band-Aid. That's one of the brands that's managed to hold on to its trademark, even though most of us just call any kind of little bandage a Band-Aid. Yeah, like, like if I get a cut, I just I just pick up a Band-Aid, but I might just buy the store brand. But let me show you a box of Band-Aids. Do you see these? Yeah, okay. So at the top, it says Band-Aid in really big letters. And then in very small type, right under that, it says Brand Adhesive Bandages. So I guess from now on, I'm going to ask for Band-Aid Brand Adhesive Bandages. Yeah, and that's because Johnson & Johnson knows what it's doing. So they almost made the same mistake as Otis with the escalator. And I guess they could have gone generic, but they made a crucial change. If you think back years ago, Band-Aid had a jingle. I am stuck on Band-Aid because Band-Aid stuck on me. And this was not proper use of their own trademark, but they definitely changed that in their own material. And now every time they say Band-Aid, they say Band-Aid brand. I am stuck on Band-Aid brand because Band-Aid stuck on me. 
they made sure that they are treating it properly. And that's one of the ways that you can avoid that is by making sure that you're treating it properly. So that is how Band-Aid got to hold on to its trademark. So this actually answers a question that I've always had, like why companies add the word brand after their brand, and this makes perfect sense now. Yeah, and you can see a lot of other companies fighting to preserve their trademarks in different ways. Like, take Velcro. Velcro is actually a brand of something called a hook-and-loop fastener. I don't believe it. And that's the problem the company is fighting. Velcro made this video with singing lawyers to explain what's at risk. That was part of their strategy to educate consumers was to get a very humorous uh, video out there and make sure that folks know Velcro is a trademark and the product is hook and loop fastener. So if another company makes hook and loop fastener, it isn't called Velcro. It's called hook and loop fastener. And Velcro only comes from their company. And that was the point of the video. So what's at risk for Velcro or Band-Aid? And what happened to Escalator is that as soon as the name goes generic, it can be like a death knell for the brand and the company that created it. And that's why it's called Genericide. Exactly. All right. Alexis, are you satisfied with your customer service today? Yes, I am. That's really interesting. I guess I'll write adhesive bandage on my grocery list from now on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for calling customer service. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Do you have a question? Call us at 7313-BRANDS. If you have comments or a story idea, email us at householdname at insider.com. Special thanks to Susan Dobsha, who co-authored all that research on consumer behavior that Gianna Eckhart told us about. Today's show was produced by Darian Woods and Sally Helm at Planet Money, and Sarah Wyman, Anna Mazarakis, and Amy Padula here at Household Name. Planet Money is edited by Brian Erstadt. Our show is edited by Gianna Palmer. Sound design and original music by Casey Holford and John Delore. The executive producers of Household Name are Chris Bannon, Jenny Radelet, and me. Household Name is a production of Insider Audio. Coming up on Season 2 of Household Name, we're taking on Crocs, How are these clunky, waterproof, brightly colored clogs still around? And dare I say it, cool? That's the thing is that they are, I mean, we can, they are kind of ugly, are they not? Oh, these, oh my God, I can't believe I'm even pausing. I don't know. When I got to the store, I found a pair and bought them. 
and tried them on, and I, that's when my love affair with Crocs began. The Crocs brand keeps surviving near-death experiences, and now real fashion houses are all over Crocs, literally. Plus, they're in at least one guy. I'm Gunnar Lundberg, and I was 18 years old when I decided to eat my Croc. Also up this season, we'll look back at the iconic 1984 Apple commercial that introduced the Macintosh to the world and changed Super Bowl advertising forever. Did you ever think that this ad would have so much staying power and influence? I didn't. I honestly didn't. And, and I'm, I'm still kind of curious. On January 24th, Apple Computer will introduce Macintosh. And you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984. And we head to Ukraine to solve an Amazon mystery. One of our listeners bought a classic book on Amazon, and it looked a little odd. The book was too big, the type was too small, and then she noticed a logo in Cyrillic. It's a story that took us to Kiev. They have a ton of stuff here, but they do not have Danielle's copy of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice, unfortunately. Hmm. Let's keep going, I guess. That's coming up this season on Household Name. Hey, Household Name listeners. We are back for season two of the show. And hey, maybe you should uh, follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Dan Bobkoff. That's D-A-N-B-O-B-K-O-F-F. Remember, my name is not Bob. That comes up a lot. Tweet at me with the hashtag household name podcast and share story ideas with our team. We've gotten some really great ideas that way and also lots of great pictures come in. Some people sent us in pictures of old blockbusters they found and uh, mattress stores in their community. So join the conversation there. Maybe you're noticing something out there about big brands that we're not. So let us know. That's at Dan Bobkoff in the hashtag household name podcast. And we'll see you here next week. Stitcher.